1: the professional's choice. What's up, HVAC people? We're back with another podcast. Thank you for returning and listening again. Week after week, we try to bring some, some entertaining, some educational content to you guys, and I, I hope you're enjoying all the content that, that we're putting out and, and the great guests that get onto the podcast and give their time and their energy and feedback So we can all learn from them. So a couple years ago, actually, it's going to be about three years this February, I believe, I went out to Brantford, Ontario, Emerson Compressor Failure course that was um, instructed by none other than Trevor Matthews, who's on this podcast right now. Now, Trevor went through some scenarios of how compressors fail. We did some teardowns physically, and it was a really good course. And if you guys ever have the opportunity to take this course if Trevor's traveling around, maybe not with COVID right now, or if you guys are in the Ontario um, area to come in and, and do this course, because it's it's really valuable. So we're going to talk about some compressor failures, um, a lot of which pertain to that course and some compressor failures that myself have seen. And Matt Waxer is joining us on the podcast, and he's going to ask Trevor some questions as well. Matt's been on the podcast several times, most recently with, with Mike Clark. We're talking about some COVID-19 stuff and just some general tech-to-tech discussion. Okay, so good podcast, good conversation. This is the HVAC Know-It-All podcast, and I'm your host, Gary McCready. Welcome to the HVAC Know-It-All podcast,
0: recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry, discussing all things HVAC,
1: from storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. All right, gentlemen. So, Trevor, you've been on the podcast uh, multiple times, and so has Matt. So you guys are both back, and I think we're going to have a pretty cool discussion here. Trevor uh, was geez man maybe two and a half years ago now like time flies that uh, i was in in the uh the emerson office and we did a training course based on compressor failures and we did a bunch of teardowns you had somebody cut a open a scroll compressor and we looked at a bunch of different ways a compressor might fail and how you guys determine the failure
0: yeah first off i want to thank you for having me uh again on your podcast gary much appreciated and yeah that was a that's a little while ago. Um, Time does fly by pretty quick, but uh, yeah, that's one of my favorite courses. Do I'm glad that you had a chance to come out that day? And it's a lot of fun to have mechanics uh, take that course. I've been with, uh, I've done it a lot of times throughout North America and with really new guys as well as really experienced guys. And uh, at the end of it, I asked all of them, uh, Did you? get at least one thing out of this this training session and every time someone says they get something out of it. And the funnest part for me is seeing the guys, uh, some of the guys for the first time seeing an open scroll for an example, or maybe they work on residential stuff and don't get a chance to look in a semi-hermetic and, and really get inspired on working towards uh, uh, equipment like that to work on, you know what I mean? So,
1: yeah no i I definitely do and i i can see how somebody that's been in the trade for many many years can learn from that because there's there's a lot of text in the trade that they'll they'll change the compressor they'll check it they'll do this they'll do that but they've never actually taken the time to pop the top off a scroll compressor and look inside of it which when you start doing that stuff and actually matt sent me something today was it today or yesterday matt you sent me that uh cutaway of, of the, uh, temperature pressure relief.
2: I think that was, uh, this afternoon. Oh, okay. Um, all time's right. I, kind of blurred together. I've had a yeah, couple all, of my, really all my days. days. And,
1: all my days and hours are just kind of blurred together. But, um, I, I make a habit of that is, is taking apart things that I just pull out of whatever, like it, sometimes it happens by accident. Like the other day, I, um, I dropped a, an ignition control, and the cover bounced off and I'm like whoa look inside of here this is cool and then we start looking at stuff but a lot of times I do it on purpose I'll take apart relays and I'll look inside of them and or transformers or whatever it might be so anybody that takes apart anything and puts it back together is going to learn is going to learn a lot about that specific item right right Trevor
0: Oh yeah exactly 100% the more you can look inside Uh, compressors, equipment, scrolls, even uh, hermetics. And I don't suggest on like every scroll, cut it open. There's definitely, you have to look into the warranty, reach out to the Copeland authorized wholesaler and ask them if Mm -hmm. it's a warranty, things like that. You you know, because if it is a second failure, we're going to inspect that scroll compressor. But if it's out of warranty, you don't know why that compressor uh, is either not working or has failed. Um, It's a good opportunity to learn. And to be honest, the guys I get, uh, I see more and more guys opening up scrolls and these guys email me and say, listen, Trevor, I've been lately the last, the last six months or last year I opened four or five scrolls and I've learned so much in those scrolls and, and found the problem and fixed the problem where before they said, well, you know, it could have been that the second failure could have been because I didn't find the first failure, you know? Oh, it's a mm-hmm. burnout or it's an electrical failure. But really, what caused that electrical failure?
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's... it's So, so. so Matt, um, have you ever been out to, to this course that we're discussing? I should have asked you that beforehand.
2: I haven't had the opportunity. It's uh, definitely on my bucket list of HVAC courses to check off uh, when it gets back up and going again. Um, hearing Trevor mention about autopsies on scrolls here, Uh, Harkens me back to a a post that uh, you put out. I have no idea how long ago, Gary, Uh, was a scroll compressor that on the system, the uh, piping that was installed was never cleaned properly and uh, never deburred. And all the copper burrs within the piping ended up actually uh, embedding themselves and copper plating the actual scrolls themselves.
1: Yeah, that, that, that might've been something I shared, but I, I've, I've, I have posted a bunch of stuff regarding copper plating and and shavings coming out of piping. Um, I, I think I posted one recently where it was, uh, somebody had filmed, they cut the, the, the compressor out and they were banging on, I believe it was the suction line and just a whole bunch of copper filings were falling out of it. So I don't know if this was from the factory where it got built or if it was uh, something that somebody did while they were installing like the line set, but it was a residential unit and and all these copper filings were bouncing out, which is, which is no good for a system <laughs> by any means. So, I mean, Trevor, let's, let's say, like, let's go back to that course for a minute. And we talked about some things that I found very, very interesting. Like the way that um, if you have a, a flood back, um, you can wash away uh, oil and you have like a a wash pattern along like the the crankshaft of the compressor. Am I remembering that right?
0: Yeah, 100%. So when we talk about semi-hermetic compressors Mm -hmm. and you have flood back, when really what flood back is, is when the compressor is running and liquid refrigerant is making its way back to the compressor. So anytime your compressor is running and that evaporator can't boil off the refrigerant, uh, and that liquid makes it down the suction line into the compressor. And so, really, what happens is that liquid goes into the stator or the motor part, and there's a lot of heat generated in there. So, if it's a small amount of liquid, it usually can boil off. But if you get a large enough amount of liquid into that compressor, it goes in through um, a little check valve. It's a free-floating check valve in our, say, our 3, 4, and 6D compressors. Then it gets into your crank side, which has the oil pump. And what happens is that oil pump starts to um, pump liquid refrigerant through the crankshaft. And we all know that liquid refrigerant's a good solvent or a good cleaner. And as it starts to make its way down the crankshaft, it starts to dilute the oil. And by the time it gets to the main bearing, which is in the the main wall between the motor, so the, the stator and the motor and the, the crank where the pistons are, starts to wear that main bearing. So when you take it apart and you look at it, and we do an a- analyze of it, uh, we got a great team uh, here in Brantford, Ontario. When they pull it apart, you can see something we call a progressive wear uh, on that. And you don't even have to go that far. As a technician in the field, I, I highly suggest you don't need to pull a compressor apart that far to to pull the bottom plate off and then pull all the pistons out. And there's one main uh, check that you need to do to find out if it has flood back. Uh, do you remember what that check was,
1: Gary or Matt?
2: I'm drawing I, a blank at the moment. I,
1: I don't. I don't recall exactly. Um... I, I just remember seeing the wear pattern when we pulled it apart and going, "Wow, like you can actually see this wear pattern moving across." But this one particular check, no, I do not remember.
0: Yeah, no, that's fa- that's okay. Um, it's called uh, shaking the hands, uh, shaking your hand with the crankshaft. So what you want to do is give it, a, you, you know, uh, up and down movement after you pull the pump and, and the the wall off, and you you try to lift it up and down, not back and forth or in and out, but up and down. And if you get a lot of play up and down, that usually means you get uh, wear uh, on your main bearing. And what happens there is when you get wear on that main bearing in a semi-hermetic, it actually drops that rotor onto the stator. And then you get something called rotor drag. And that rotor drag leads into an electrical failure. So if we go back to what we really started talking about is the floodback situation, which potentially is a mechanical issue, uh, or a system sorry a system related issue that led to a, a failure which was uh, an electrical failure when just say I went out there or Matt or you went out to check it Gary you, you owned it out and you had like a open winding or a dead short that was caused by that mechanical failure of what we call a floodback
1: hmm that's that's you, you ever seen that before Matt
2: I haven't yet As um, yes question i have kind of potentially related to well liquid slugging washing out your uh, bearing uh, would be the issue of uh, improper oil return to the compressor and the uh, implications that has in terms of wear patterns on bearings and other moving mechanical parts within the compressor would those be similar wear patterns to uh, which you see with a uh, refrigerant washing out a bearing, Trevor, or are they different?
0: They, they would be different. Uh, so when you look at, uh, just say you have a flooded start or a slug, um, they, they do have different patterns. So if you have a flooded start and what, uh, how you have a flooded start is uh, the refrigerant, the compressor's off and refrigerant migrates back to the compressor somehow. Okay. And it, it The compressor, will say, is the coldest spot. Maybe the crankcase heater failed and it's outside on the roof and it's in the middle of winter in downtown Brantford where it can get pretty cold in the winter. And uh, uh, that refrigerant migrates as a vapor back to the compressor and then it uh, absorbs in the oil or stratifies, sorry, in the oil. And then when that compressor starts up, there's an explosion inside the compressor. And I mentioned earlier that refrigerant is a good solvent, a good cleaner. It starts washing all the different parts. So, and if it's a bad enough one on refrigerant cool compressors, it could do some damage like smashing rods, smashing valves, and and things like that. So, when you take apart a compressor that has a flooded start, you could actually have a pump seized onto uh, the crankshaft. So, you try to take off that oil pump, but it's seized on there. You would not see that would flood back, because you'd have oil, mostly oil at the pump. But by the time your last bearing uh, needs oil, it's just liquid refrigerant. That's just kind of one one example. Or the the um, sorry the rod itself is seized right onto to the, the pipe and we onto the crankshaft, and it could be the very first one. So it just, it all depends, right? It's kind of, we call it a good, bad, good scenario on the semi-hermetics.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that, that was going to be my next question was the difference between a flood back and a flooded start. And you've just explained that. So we have the the progressive wear pattern with the flood back and a flooded start actually can um, cause <laughs> a small explosion inside the compressor, right? um because when it goes to start up it's just that that liquid just expands and, and and busts parts inside so when you say that you take apart the second compressor that comes back for warranty how often or or how often are we finding these two things is this is this pretty common these two things so so first off for the semi hermetic i want every mechanic to pull all
0: of them apart for semi hermetic okay. compressors first failure second failure fifth failure we want uh, as, a, as a Copeland um, representative or Emerson uh, representative, we want you guys to pull these apart on the semi-premics. Take them apart, look at it, try to understand why it failed because right now we're seeing and I talk with my ins- inspection guy, his name is Bruce Bosnell. This guy is an expert at analyzing compressors and he's like, Trevor, guys aren't just even, the guys aren't taking heads off. They're not pulling pumps off. You can do this in the field, and he 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 told me it's it's just not happening anymore. So when he gets back and gets a special inspection to to look in it, so if it's a first failure, you usually they don't they come back to cores, but we're not inspecting them. Um, but when the second one there's a second failure, just say two weeks later, six months later down the road, Bruce inspects these compressors. He expects those compressors to have at least a head. And the pump pulled off on the semi haran minimum. Mm -hmm. But like I said, we're not seeing that. So it's something that I'm trying to make more guys aware of. A lot of guys that I trained are like, well, I don't have time. It's a process plant. You know, it doesn't take long to at least pump down that compressor and take a look inside. Or if it's failed already, you have to change that compressor. So pull off those heads, pull off the pump, at least those two things. You don't have to drain the oil with those. You can pull those off and take a look inside, and that's really what I want everyone to start doing. If they can, just even do that: pull a couple of heads off, pull the pumps off, jam all the parts back in, if it's a failed compressor.
1: Yeah, that that makes sense, and and I I understand the. Uh, I was going to mention the the time constraint thing because I I find more and more that it, it's like yeah go 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 we have this call that call, and it's it's harder for for the text to take these things apart within billable hours uh, is just my experience so a lot of them if they want to learn they they need to do it on their own time and a lot of techs aren't going to do it on their own time unfortunately because they want to get paid for every i i I had this argument once with (laughs) with one guy it was lunchtime and i and i and i i think i pulled a head off a compressor i think it was a little coplamatic one of those little Coplimatic compressors, Trevor? In case. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, okay. I, I, I'm pretty sure. And I'm like, yeah, I pulled the head off on my lunch to look inside. He's like, on your lunch break? I'm like, yeah, man. He's like, well, I get paid for everything I do on the job. And I'm like, dude, like, really? Like, you're going to argue with me about this? I'm learning something. Um, Yeah, it might be on my own time. It's my lunch break. But guess what? The knowledge is power. The more I know, the better off I am doing my job and the more valuable I am to to whoever I work for. And that brings me more opportunity along the way, right? Because I know more. So that, that was my argument. So anybody that has that argument where they need to get paid to pull the head off, I mean, yeah, it'd be nice to get paid to do it. But if you can't, half an hour of your own time, I mean, if you pull that off, you're going to learn something new, right? Let's take a quick break here. Now, If you guys haven't heard about this program it's basically for designing refrigeration systems it's by danfoss it's called cool selector 2 and it helps you design refrigeration systems from scratch now they've optimized in co2 which is a natural refrigerant and it's making waves in the industry because of that so co2 is now optimized for cool selector 2 by danfoss so check that stuff out I'm getting messages from students that their schools are either implementing or thinking about implementing interplay learning because of this COVID thing. And it's actually an advantage for interplay learning because they're an online based virtual training platform, right? And if you haven't seen it, check it out. They got a bunch of YouTube videos. You can go to their YouTube channel. A tech, a single tech can can use it for 20 bucks a month. And... You can even go as far as buying a virtual headset if you want for your team and you can have them do troubleshooting sims with a virtual reality headset on. If you haven't done any virtual reality stuff in the past, it is it is badass. Like I've done shooting ranges and actually done one at a trade show where Emerson was there where you could actually take a compressor apart and it was, it was pretty cool. So Interplay Learning guys, if you haven't heard about it, check it out please because they're doing some really cool things. In the industry, Blue On, another one of my favorites. These guys are on the map right now trying to help out techs as best they can, right? They're 24 7 tech support. Okay, their app that has 25,000 ish unit manuals in there, which is incredible. We've seen the, or if you haven't seen, I posted a video of Brian Johnson showing off the nitrogen calculator, which is another really cool tool that you can use when you're doing pressure testing so check out blue on guys and their app and guys true tech tools save eight percent on your purchases with promo code know it all okay at checkout except for fluke and fleer products the last thing i mentioned this a ton of times before testo has a a promo going on. If you buy the 300, the Combustion Analyzer, the Testo 300, you get a mail-in rebate for a $100 gift card. So you you purchase it, you go online, you fill out the rebate form or or the uh, yeah mail-in rebate form. You fill that out and then you get your $100 gift card sent to you in the mail, just as simple as that. So anyway, guys, let's get back to Trevor and Matt. 100%.
0: And even – even uh, I had this conversation with many people too um, about having to get paid for for training. To become a master at your own skill, you need to get paid for it. And, and, okay, I can understand that. But if you want to be the best of the best in refrigeration or HVAC, you're going to have to spend time on learning it. Uh, we're a skilled mm-hmm. trade. And uh, there are so many different pieces of equipment, different compressors. We have over 25 different types of scrolls and every one of them work differently, different capacities, different refrigerants, different internals, you know, and you don't learn that overnight. I feel like I've been in, in myself the last, or, you know, training myself the last six years on, on compressors, understanding them in and out. And to be honest with you, Gary, Matt, I feel like I'm a newbie, <laughs> uh, on these because every day I'm learning, I'm reading up more about them. And lots of this is outside my, uh, my billable hours, I guess, uh, because I want to make sure I can provide the knowledge to the next technicians out there. And because I think it's valuable to understand how to do your job, uh, uh, efficiently, effectively. And, And to get back to the point of pulling a head off and pulling off an oil pump, if you don't, if you change that compressor, we'll just say, and you don't figure out that problem, and that compressor fails six months later, who's covering that bill? You know what I mean? like. And do you feel – you? hopefully, you, because I wouldn't want just say a 4D or a couple thousand dollar compressor to fail six months after I replaced it. Uh, I'd, I'd feel terrible for the customer because we as technicians are not cheap. We're, we're very expensive and uh and we're paid a lot of money to do a good job
1: right yes yeah no I 100% agree with you and um there's there's a failure that I dealt with not too long ago and um Matt you might remember this from from like Instagram and stuff I was working on uh I had several posts on this on Instagram about the it was like a large McCoy chiller and I had uh, we did a compressor on it and I was making posts about nitrogen brazing through it and pulling a vacuum with the true blues. Do you remember, do you recall those like four weeks ago or so? Uh,
2: do you recall going through those? Um, don't recall the entire story behind uh, the work that you did on that McQuay. Um, but I do you remember that's, that's, seeing that's the good. true blue setup on it?
1: That's good. Cause I'm going to tell it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so uh, anyway, and, and maybe Trevor can tell us what we might find within this compressor because it's still sitting at the shop and I just got to find the time to take a, a grinder and, and cut the top off. But what, what happened is I responded to a call or somebody else did. And I went back just to verify a bunch of stuff. So it's a trio of compressors, and and they're they're each twenty five horsepower. So they're they're fairly large. They're like maybe like three feet high. They weigh like four hundred pounds or something like maybe a little bit more than three feet high, but they weigh about four hundred pounds each. And one compressor in particular was just when it started up, it was just vibrating the entire platform, um, to the point where it went off on motor protector. And the whole trio shuts down when one of them goes off on motor protector, I guess, to protect the circuit, just in case there's some, some other th- stuff going on. Um, so I went back, I, I reach, I, I thought maybe there was some liquid in there or something like that. So what I did was, is I took the, the recovery machine And I recovered, I I isolated the suction line and the discharge line, because you can do that on this particular chiller from the rest of the system. And I recovered everything out of the three compressors, put it back into the receiver, just moved it from one section to the other, because I thought maybe there's some liquid in there and it was trying to start and it was vibrating. And then I restarted it and it was still doing the same thing. Um, So the thing was, it wasn't, it wasn't internally, um, there's an, an internal problem. So when we changed the compressor, what we found was, and we took the, the oil equalization line off because there's a, a equalization line that goes between all three compressors, the compressor had, like, barely any oil. You couldn't see it. It was, like, down at the bottom. So it pumped out all its oil, and for some reason it didn't come back. I'm not really sure why um, it didn't come back because we went in there and we changed some parts um, that I – I wanted to change like a hot gas bypass, a solenoid valve, um, and two ORI valves or sorry, ORD valves, just because I, I felt really odd about something and I changed them. And ever since I did that, the things have been running, it brought back all the oil. It even brought back more oil than there should have been because the compressor swap, um, I guess the oil was logged in there. The new compressor went in. Now there's more oil in the system and it all came back and I had to drain some, but What I was going to ask you, Trevor, is scroll compressor running without oil for an extended period of time. I take that apart. What am I going to find in there? So you're going to find probably a few different
0: things depending on how like how low the oil is. Usually Mm -hmm. um, you'll still have uh, oil in the lower bearing. Uh, Was there there was sight glasses on these compressors? I'm assuming there the- is oil,
1: oil there is oil sight glass. The the sight glass is common to all three compressors. So yeah. the sight glass kind of sits in an odd spot. Um and it's not it's it's we it's weird the way it's built because the the equalization line it's not completely level across all three. There's a bit of a dip, and I thought it was odd, and then I looked at the other chiller and it was the exact same thing. So it was just the way it's built. So there is one common oil yeah. sight glass. Yeah, exactly. is there
2: an oil sight glass on each compressor sump? Gary, like I know on like uh, Dyke and RPS units, uh, they have a, on say like they got two banks of three compressors, uh, three compressors for stage one, three for stage two. You'll have a sight glass on the crankcase oil equalization, pressure equalization line, but each compressor also has a uh, oil sight glass as well.
1: Yeah, so it, they do have sight glasses, but you got to take the sight glasses off to get the equalization line on. So the compressor ship with a sight glass, right? Yep. But you got to take it off in, oil, oil, in order to get the oil equalization line on. And then there's only one common sight glass for all three compressors okay. at that point.
0: Yeah, yeah, it just depends on, on the, the design that OEM uh, one, wants to do. Uh, we mm-hmm. do now, I believe, sell trios, but it was really up to the OEM years ago, uh, and I'm not sure which which one they are. So some of them will have sight glasses on the compressor as well as the oil equalization line. Some will have the tube that connects all the three sight glasses with a, a sight glass. But to get back to your to your point, Gary, what you would see is um, most likely you're going to see uh, a seed, probably a seized um, bearing and bushing. Right at the the top, right under that uh, orbiting scroll, the oscillating scroll. So the bottom mm-hmm. one that's on the thrust surface, most likely you're going to find that one seized. And um, really, what you need to do is inspect it. You're going to see inside. That compressor, so in the mating surface inside between the fixed and orbiting scroll, there was probably no oil getting up into there because if that is really dry of oil. You'll see it's going to be dry inside there. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: you'll probably have scroll galling inside the scroll set as well. And that's due to just not having any oil in that compressor to go up that crankshaft because that crankshaft is hollow and it has two like flinger feeds inside that. And what it does, a centrifugal force pulls up the oil to feed all the bearings and that main bearing, and then it gets up in up into uh, the thrust surface and then oils everything. Right? You got to keep that lubrication up there. But if you had no oil going into to it at all, you'll probably see yeah th- that main bearing seized and bushing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And and just just so you know, something that you kept saying during that course <laughs> is that two things create acid within a system heat and moisture and i remember you repeated that like a bunch of times right and when when the two guys from the the shop went to reclaim or sorry reclaim recover we used to say reclaim back in the day like at the uh, <laughs> when i first started and i got into a habit of saying it but when we recovered that's the correct term recovered the refrigerant they said the refrigerant stunk it stinks, man. Like, so I, I did a, an oil analysis and it was highly acidic, but it didn't burn out. There was no burnout. So the heat from the thing running with no oil and potentially moisture from somewhere um, created this acidic um, environment in there. So we had to put an, an acid dryer in and we used some oil neutralizer, actually. And I went back and did a, an analysis last week on friday and it's fully clean it's it's neutralized so um that 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 was the other thing i wanted to bring up is oil acidity can come from heat and moisture together in a system right yeah definitely
0: needs moisture in there the heat so you will see when you when you pull out a part as well then if you had a lot of acid in there Um, when you pull off um they're they call the can't remember right now. I call them the dowel pins, but they're really the spacers for the mm-hmm. thick scrolls to give it its uh, axial separation. So it's a little – the screws, you, you'll have probably four in that one. And what will happen, there's this, these little um, – they're like uh, little spacers. And on those, when you pull them off, sometimes they can fall down onto the stator. But take a look at those. A lot of times when you have copper plating or you've got moisture in a the system, um, they're on those pins as well as you can you'll be able to see it sometimes on the top discharge um port all depends on what compressor it is right 25 horsepower we got a lot of different 25 horsepower models so it's just um what you'll probably see is some copper plating and really what that is and like uh, good to bring it up is um that compressor you know guys can install and i've even did it in a uh, apprentice okay trevor the the pump has been on the pump for an hour that's enough okay let's start up the system you know okay but you don't see that the next day that system will run totally fine even if you don't pull it down to a three or four hundred microns you know what i mean like you could yeah that system at two thousand microns is still gonna run and pull down three thousand four thousand it's still gonna run but yeah. as that system continues to run and it starts to create that asset now, when that acid gets in the system, it starts eating away at the windings. And then six months, eight months, a year, two years down the road, that's when the failure happens. It could happen in a few months as well, don't get me wrong. Um, but we're seeing it down the road, five, six years down the road. That's when um, copper plating can happen. And you don't notice that it takes, no, I did a good job, everything's good. But if you didn't pull a good good vac, uh, vac here – you, you can be the system can be in trouble, or a compressor can be in trouble down the road.
1: Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm gonna let Matt ask you a couple questions, but I want to tell you um, the the process that I used to pull this thing down. We got it down to um, below 400 microns in the vacuum, nice. and it was uh, 12 cfm pump, true blue hoses like three quarter inch, and solenoid magnets on pulling down for 24 hours i returned the next day it was like at 900 and something microns um so i changed the vac pump oil and what i did was i i, I swept with nitrogen just because it was cold outside and if there's any moisture in there that potentially froze like a droplet froze or here and there and, and it's now it's off gassing it's going to be a lot slower so i broke it with nitrogen just to to get the system back up to the temp because it was actually that day it was like 10 degrees C outside, like 50 degrees F around there. So we're above freezing, sweeping nitrogen through, maybe get rid of those little ice droplets, get that moisture out of there. And I did that three times in a row. And every single time I did it, it went to 2000 microns quicker than the time before. So that that was cool to to see that happening, getting to 2000 microns in an hour and a half, then getting it to it in an hour, and then getting to it in 45 minutes cuz maybe the the timing I just explained wasn't correct but it was it was similar it was something something like that right and then i let it go for another 48 hours i'm like i'm just going to let it run it doesn't need to be up and running till the end of the week so i let it run for two more days and returned and we were down below 400 microns so i was happy and that's when we started to charge it up but that was the patience we had to use with that system with the oil change and the triple sweep and letting it just continue to run and and, and go so we got it down to where we wanted it. And, and I think that's going to help the, the machine run for a lot longer now than, than what happened before. Anyway, Matt, I'm sure you have some compressor failures that you've had in the past that you might want to
2: uh, ask Trevor, yeah. Trevor about. Well, kind of continuing on some of the like issues that we've been uh, going on here about uh, why compressors are failing um, being a service tech, um, a be kind of remissed if we didn't bring up, you know, just regular proper maintenance on uh, your systems, making sure that your uh, coils are clean, that, uh, you know, you have proper uh, voltage coming into uh, your systems as well. Because these also play a role in uh, leading to down the line compressor failures from what I've experienced thus far.
0: Yeah, for sure they do. It's, it's very important to understand a lot of that. I think I always talk, and when I'm doing trainings and stuff, I, I talk to the mechanics and technicians. and Say a lot of times it's going to the basics. I used to, to be honest, I used to get really nervous when I was on call and so I get a call at two o'clock in the morning. Got to go to a grocery store I'd never been to before, and it's like, oh, the gas, the the systems out of gas, or um, you know, the compressors failed, the racks down, and, and a lot of the times it was simple stuff i overanalyze it before i even got there and then you know it's a frozen coil or a plugged drain and don't get me wrong there's many nights that i was you know charging racks up that didn't have no gas or there wasn't enough gas winter summer charge at some of these stores but it's going back to the basics um when you're when you're looking at a system you go to a system do some visual checks right off the bat you know listen look go go check is the fans running in the evaporator you know go check that evaporator is is it running properly is it dirty just like you said is there any dirt there is is uh can you hear the a whistling at the tx valve is there a, a you know frosting at the say the filter dryer for example is the honeycombs dirty if it's in a case you know just start with those things then you know touch the liquid line is it warm you know Touch the suction line, you know, and just get kind of get a, a um, an idea on just these visual uh, inspection and listening and touching to see w- what's going on. And over time, as like a, a beginning apprentice, you know, you're not really going to understand what it's supposed to feel like or hear. But what you want to do is just start building your senses uh, as a mechanic. I talked to one of my good buddy Nigel uh, out in Calgary, Alberta. And, He's been in the industry now 20 years. I, I even worked under him for a few years as my foreman and this guy is a great guy, great mentor to his team. And he's like Trevor, I can go into uh, onto a rack system right now and just listen inside there and I can tell what compressor is the the one that's doing the worst on the rack now. You know what I mean? Just so much just going into so many rooms and just listening to it or he can go over and start feeling the pipes. And which one's not feeding properly or which one's feeding, overfeeding or underfeeding just from that experience. And this is how the old guys did it. Um, then you get out the proper tools, you know, like, then you get out your gauges, then you get out your, you know, temperature probe because you need to do that. You need to verify that. Um, but I've definitely seen a lot of guys like my buddy Nigel and other old school guys that could grab a pipe and say, this is about 95 and I put my temperature probe on, it's like 96 or 95.5. You know, just that much experience. So it comes in time. But these visual cues is very important. Uh, and, and definitely listening around.
2: Yeah, hearkening back to Gary's uh, HVAC 6th Sense. You know, it does That's take time gap. to develop. <laughs>
1: That's exactly um, what I call it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I remember Gary talking about uh, you know, his uh, calibrated superheat hand. Yeah. Subcooling <laughs> hand for, uh, checking systems. But then, you know, once you've done that, uh, you know, tactile check yourself, you know, like you appropriately, uh, point out there, Trevor, you're going to, you know, break out the appropriate tools you need to verify what, you know, your HVAC six sense is telling you, what your HVAC spidey sense is saying, Hey, I gotta, you know, look a little bit further, break out, you know, a clamp temp probe on this line, see if I actually, you know, think the temperature is what it actually is Uh, and then you know that leads you down the next uh you know rabbit hole of investigation to try to get to the bottom of whatever issue you're dealing with
0: yeah exactly and and if you ever get to a point where you know uh, that you're spending a lot of time in one area and you haven't written something down you haven't put any tools on the system and you know you're just maybe kind of like chasing your tail or a little fluster, stop. Stop what you're doing. Take a break. Grab a, a water or a coffee, whatever you need. Make a phone call to a buddy. Say, listen, I've been looking. I've been checking. The coils are clean. The fans are running. This is my super heat. This is my sub cooling. This is my amps. This is my voltage. And I'm just stuck. You know, I don't know where to go from here. Every, there's guys on, on your cruise that want to help. You know, and if they don't want to, if those guys in your crew aren't very helpful, other guys in the industry like Gary or myself or other people want to help you, Uh, but you do need to have some information. You can't just go to a job site, spend four hours at a job site and haven't put a clamp on or your, your gauges on yet. You know, and I've seen that and I've heard that from service managers, send a guy out there and I get a call after four hours. And he has no information, no subcooling, no superheat, no voltage, no amps, none of this stuff. So what did you really do in the last four hours? But if you can get that data, and Gary, I can send you um, our, uh, say, our compressor troubleshooting checklist. You can send it to all the listeners uh, and and start with that. You know, there's a lot more information on there than you need to really take down. But if you can fill like a a form out uh, before, you know, and give it to somebody else to help you out until you can get that knowledge on – What's really going on with the system? Because it doesn't happen overnight. Like I'm still a newbie, and I've been in the industry since 2004.
1: Yeah,
2: uh, I would, more I would, information I would, you can. <clears throat> or sorry,
0: I go
1: head, say, Gary. Yeah, I was just gonna say I would love to have that uh, compressor checklist just to check it out, and 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 I'll post it online for sure.
2: And I was gonna say, and to kind of further Trevor's point, um, before reaching out to. A buddy, and you have that guy who's on a site for four hours, hasn't collected any data about or any information about why he's there for a particular service call. It's kind of pointless to reach out and with nothing other than, oh, the system isn't working. Well, what have you done? What have you looked at? And what information can you collect before you reach out to a friend, a colleague, another technician, a, a tech support line? The more information that you can, you know, collect yourself before making that reach out, it's gonna make your troubleshooting and you know, collaboration with whomever you're reaching out to that much more productive rather than taking time with them on the line, then asking you to take a measurement for, you know, if your superheat or subcooling if the system can even run. It's yeah. kind of yeah. showing res- respect to the other people you're reaching out to that you're not trying to waste their time. By just showing up to something and going, well, not working. Um, tell me what's wrong, and put in the time to try to figure out. You know, at a bare minimum, like what are the voltages coming into an appliance if it is running? What are your superheat, subcooling? What pressures do you have? And then reach out for additional assistance if you require so.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and, that, and that's great points, Matt. Uh, one one of the things too is that I talked to guys if. Just say you're new and, you know, like I was a second year and I had keys to a truck and here you go, right? Uh, uh, Green as day. And there was times when I first started, I was, you know, nervous on what I was doing because I didn't know what I was touching or looking at. People want to help. Just say you haven't really put gauges on or to check a defrost differential valve. Tell somebody that. Don't be scared because there's a lot to know in our industry. Yes. You know, it, it's nervousing, and I've been there. You know, I ask questions that I was really nervous to ask. And they're, you know, when I ask the question, they're just give you the answer. Most people want to help, even if it's your boss or your manager, you know, and, you know, a lot of time you're looking for a job and you want to get that job and you, you say you have all this experience. Be honest. You know, if you don't have experience and say, I want to learn this stuff, because most companies want to help. They want to make you good so you can go out and be good at your job.
1: Yeah, it's, it's very true. And, and I think that finding a mentor is super important. And this is kind of what we're talking about is is reaching out and asking someone because I've i seen it a lot of times where I get messages daily. Like my inbox is like I don't have time to answer all these people with quality answers. So I'm sorry if anybody's messaging me and I can't get back to you with, with a, a quality answer, but because I just don't even even though it's called HVAC know it all, I really don't know a hell of a lot to be honest with you. I know I know what I know and that and that's it. I can't I don't know what code nine five two is on a Sanyo XLR. Like I just made that model number up. But I don't know that stuff, right? I don't know it. So I think you need to find a mentor that that's able to help you. And finding a mentor is is difficult because a lot of a lot of techs do want to help, but a lot don't. And 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 I've seen both. I've seen where you pick up the phone and call someone and you get yelled at, and I've seen where the tech will actually come out to your site and help you and spend time with you. There, there's there's a total 180. And then the online part, you get online and ask a question. Some people tell, well, you shouldn't be in the trade if you don't know that. Um, or call a real tech are the answers that you get. And it, dis- it discourages people from ever asking again. And some of the messages I get is, hey, my journeyman don't want to help me. Please, I really need assistance. Can you help? And I do my best if it's a generalized type question. But I-, I just find there's there's such a need for more mentors and better mentors within this trade to help the younger techs that are coming through.
0: Yeah. And I've heard both sides as well. So one tip right now for any young, young person out there, uh, if it's equipment that is in the last, say, t- 10 to 15 years, there's a manufacturer of that equipment. You know, it could be um, York, Keepright, Ref Plus, Heatcraft, Dakin, I think you meant, or McQuay Chillers. Call those guys. Have that model and serial number. Do some checks, you know. Get that superheat subcooling. These manufacturers want to help. You know, reach out to the man the equipment manufacturers. Have some information ready for them. Yeah, maybe the journeyman that you work for doesn't want to help, but the manufacturers want to help. You know, and if you know if they just say they can't help at that time, go to your local wholesaler, your author, you know, your distributor. See if you can find someone to help there. They want to help. You know, you know, once again, depending on which distributor it is and, and things like that, but I deal with lots of those guys and a lot of them want to help, you know, they want to help the the technician as well. It's, um, but what you want to do is you got to ask first, don't be scared to ask. And if that journeyman doesn't want to help you ask a different one, don't ask that guy again.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, Matt, Matt, have you like, you just, Matt just recently got a CFQ Trevor but oh, congratulations
0: I, that's awesome Matt ma-
1: thanks but, trevor but I feel Matt Matt's more like a I feel Matt's one of those guys that's been there before because he just seems a, a lot more um I, I don't know what the word is Matt but you seem like you, you've been in the trade a lot longer than than what your 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 experience tells me or or your years in the trade tells me just because you're very methodical in your approach and you you, you seem to to know a lot more than the average guy or girl that just gets their CFQ,
2: so uh, that's that's a little sort of bit a te- different than the average bear. Some people <laughs> might say that,
1: that that's a that's a testament to you. But oh man, now now I lost my train of thought. I was giving you too many compliments. What were we talking about there?
2: <laughs> uh, something about mentorship. Yeah, mentorship. Okay, that's what
1: I, that's what I was going to ask you. So because you just got your CFQ and because you've been going through your apprenticeship the last five years, was it easy for you or hard for you to find a mentor to lock on to?
2: Uh, both. I, you're gonna have through an apprenticeship, you're gonna have really good mentors, and you're gonna have really crummy ones as well. Um, and my advice to anybody who's, you know, I've registered apprentice, or well, just an apprentice in general coming up in the trade, it's take the good and the bad with every mechanic, every journey person that you work with, and Take the bad, get rid of it, take all the good little points that you learn from everybody, and make it your own. Um, there's going to be days where you know, you've learned a new method to do something within the trade. Some, Let's say a new way for evacuating a system, and you come across an old school tech who wants to do two smokes and a coffee, 20 minutes, no micron gauge. We're good to go, and you want to go a bit of a different route. Well, you got to follow that journey person's lead to a certain degree, but down the road, you know, take some of the tips that that person's taught you and get rid of the not so favorable practices that that person has uh, shown you within their work regiment. It was kind of one of the best tips I could possibly give out to your audience for people that are, they're starting to learn the trade. Also spend lots and lots, and have I said lots yet? Lots of time learning on your own. That's one of the only ways you're gonna make yourself better. There's so much information out there, uh, whether it be just manuals, um, online apps, um, YouTube, Instagram, what have you. There's just so many avenues for learning that uh, don't stop uh, and when you think you're done learning you're not get back to learning because there's always something new like Trevor said uh, within this podcast you know he's been doing uh, this for you know quite a while but still feels like a brand brand new guy you know, learning new stuff every day about uh, the different product lines that uh, Copeland Emerson's putting out in terms of their compressors.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's good advice. And I, I would say the same, you can work with a, a crappy mechanic, and you can still learn from them, because you learn what not to do. So yeah, you take the good and, and you take the bad from from each and every person you work with and form your own. Just like my old instructor used to say, which I've repeated a million times, read three books and ask three people and form your own opinion. And it's it's not to be taken like, um, it's not to be taken to the exact uh, – you don't have to do that exactly, read three books and ask three people. You can just take opinions from different people, random sources, and form your own at the end of the day, right? It doesn't have to be taken literally. But, I mean, we we have a little bit of time left. And, and Trevor, since we're on the topic or we started with the topic of compressor failure, to end this off, can you give us some pointers on how we can avoid – a compressor failure on a brand new, say say we change the compressor on a system, we just s- slap it in there. What can we do to avoid the compressor from failing prematurely from that point on?
0: Okay, well, first step, uh, please inspect the, the compressor before or go to your local Copeland authorized wholesaler and say, please send this back to Copeland for an inspection if it's still in warranty. Because we will inspect it for for you to help tell you what happened to that compressor. The big thing is, just so you didn't have time for that, you couldn't, you know, um, get it it, inspected from us or you couldn't cut it open. The the big thing is, is doing the checks. So just say you do everything right you nitrogen purge while you braise it in, you wire it with the correct wires, um, you pull the the property evacuation and you you charge it up um, correctly, we'll say. The checks that you need to do, Every time, uh, I believe, is you need to check your your suction and discharge pressures and temperatures. Write those down. You need to check your amps. You need to check your voltage. Write those down. You want to check what is your um, coil? Is your coil clean? Your condenser is it clean? What is your TD across it? So your air in and your air out. What is your subcooling at the condenser? So check check it. You can take your pressure and your temperature right at the outlet of the condenser. Um, you get to your uh, filter dryer. Check the temperature across that filter dryer. You check next. Check look at your uh, sight glass. See if there's any moisture in that system. Then you go to your uh, TX valve. Check if your uh, what your subcooling is at your TX valve. Okay. Next is, what is your uh, TD across your evaporator coil? Your in and your out temperature. What is that? Then at the outlet of that evaporator, you check your superheat. What is that superheat supposed to be? Find out from that manufacturer. Go back into the manual. From, from there, check your superheat at your compressor. If you can get those points, um, you can figure out, do I have enough charge, not enough charge? Do I, you know... Um, is um, Yeah, do I have enough charge in there? Do I not have enough charge? Am I meeting capacity? The other things you have to make sure you do, depending on your system, is after you do all those checks, you need to make sure that system satisfies and make sure those checks stay in place. You need to check those as well after a defrost, if it has a defrost your system. Because you want to make sure through any running condition, that compressor stays in its operating envelope. And that system doesn't um, you know, doesn't flood back the compressor, doesn't overload the compressor, overheat the compressor. And when you understand compressors, and I highly recommend all, all the listeners out there, take the time to understand the compressor you're working on. Get the AE Bolton the compressor manual, and understand it. That is the one of the biggest things. It's like gospel to me now because if you give me a model number of a compressor, say a scroll compressor, I'll go get the manual, and I'll tell you what that low-pressure control should be set for, what that high-pressure control should be set for, what should the superheat be at that compressor. So I, I rambled on a little bit there, but if you can get those checks and then check it through all states to where it shuts down, then you should be good. You and or you find out another problem, right, and fix it.
1: Mm-hmm. And how important do you or to you, how important to you is checking discharge line temperature every time, every time. And what and what can that tell us?
0: Well, it's going to tell you many things. It's going to tell you if your compressor is running too hot. It could tell you, it could give you an idea if your return gas temperature is too high. You're doing a you know, low temp system.
2: Vaporize your oil.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like, depending on the compressor, at 300 degrees, PoE starts to lose uh, uh, lubrication. And then at 350 it starts to break down. So, on a semi hermetic, for example, if you measured six inches out from the compressor on the discharge line, it's 225. That In that head, could be 300 degrees. Because at the rate when it discharges out of that discharge port, that's the hottest point. And then after it goes out of the compressor down the suction line, it starts to de-superheat until it gets to the condenser. Then it condenses. So it's very vital every time I tell guys to make that check because it'll tell you, okay, if I'm running too hot, is the return gas really high as well? Is my compression ratio really high? Compression ratio is really important. If you guys haven't... um, uh, don't know about compression ratio, follow up with Gary. I'm sure he has already talked about it many, many times. It's so important to understand compression ratio. When I was a technician, guys, I did not use it. Uh, I did not think about it. But as working with compressors now, if you have high compression ratio, it causes a lot of heat, which starts to damage the internals. And then your compressor is not going to last the life of that equipment, which it should.
1: Yeah, I, f- I find checking... Um, on on systems that you can't put gauges on because I, I do a lot of I have to do a lot of inspections on reach and stuff and a lot of them you can't put gauges on them so if you get a baseline of discharge temperature like when the thing's brand new I find it's a good way to sort of know what's sort of happening within that system if you just check, check the discharge line temp yeah it's like it's like 170 degrees when it's brand new and then like Six months down the road, for example, if, it, if it's creeping up, why is it creeping up? Like, what's going on here? Um, so it gives you a baseline, first of all, and then it gives you an indication of, of things that could be happening within the system. And then you, you go around to the other side and you go, oh, the condenser's plugged. <laughs> no wonder the, the, the discharge temperature is high. So it, or, or the fan's dead or, or one of the blades is ripped off or, or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, I, I find it helps on systems like that is to check discharge line temperature. And it just kind of tells you a lot of of what's going on.
2: Uh, Going back to uh, Trevor's mentioning of, you know, do your time and putting in reading in the A bulletins um, for different compressors as me putting out a a plug for um, great apps would be uh, everybody go get yourself the uh, AE bulletins app. Uh, Also, get in the interim. Also, grab the uh, Copeland mobile app and the uh, fault finder. They're gonna, if you don't have them already, uh, you should start using them.
0: Yeah, 100%. Matt, 100%. I use those to be honest every day. Uh, I get calls from technicians from all over Canada and or emails, and I just go right to one or two of those things that help them out and send it off to them. Here you go. Here's the ABLE and check it out um and it's a helpful these are helpful tools to help you uh along your journey uh we you know we can't give you the answers but you can find the answers and the best thing is for you to find those answers uh, when you find them usually a light bulb goes off you are like wow this is it and I like your point there Gary on on those smaller systems a lot of the issues that that come into systems is because of technicians and mechanics if you didn't have to put gauges on a system, uh, that system is probably better off uh, because I've seen it time and time again. And I've even done it um, as six foot hoses, you know, let's check the pressure. Didn't clean my lines out. Don't even know what refrigerant may have been in before. And it could have been oil in it and just throw it on a system. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. a lot of systems that I see and and hear from, especially good contractors, they try not to put gauges on their system. If they have to put gauges, you know, to do those superheat checks or subcooling checks, totally. But make sure that you're not putting other gas into that system, for an example, that was in your charging hose before, you know, uh, things like that.
1: Yeah, and it's funny. The first time I ever mentioned not putting gauges on a system every time you do a a PM or something like this is like three years ago, three and a half years ago, I was just slammed by people. (laughs) Now it's now it's becoming a little bit more common.
2: I think what also is becoming more and more common uh, practice that I see, well, that i implement uh, if I have to actually gauge a system, I'm breaking out uh, my smart probes on uh, check valves, minimize refrigerant loss, um, and you're able to, you know, get every bit of information you need that uh, you would otherwise off of just a set of compound gauges. Um, you get it right then and there on your phone. Uh, Fantastic. Whether you're using, you know, whatever brand you're using, Fieldpiece or Testo, awesome products that uh, highly recommend people implement in their uh, tool regiment.
1: Yeah, yeah no. they are they are great for that purpose. And and just a, a quick story, like I, I I take care of these chambers in this one building, and they're bringing the manufacturer in from the states. And they were doing their inspections, and then they're like, "Okay, these guys are way too expensive. Can you do the 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 PMs on these?" I'm like, "Yeah, like they're just chambers. They got they got heating, they got cooling, um, some fans, and like there's nothing special. Like we'll figure out any proprietary stuff with the manuals and tech support." And one of the checks they were doing was checking the pressures, and these things contain ounces of, of refrigerant, and they're like, "Yeah, well, you have to do the same inspection." the uh the manufacturer does well I said well I'm not checking the pressures every six months on these as he's done because I'll tell you why because of you can remove gas you can um there's all kinds of things that can happen I could put contaminants back into the system potentially if my hoses are not clean or whatever and I said I'm not doing that guys I said it's for your own benefit I said eventually down the line if I put gauges on for five years we might see a slip in, in, um, reaching set point. And you guys are going to ask me why. And i be because you made me put gauges on for the last three years and we've been removing gas every time. So I refused to do it. And I won, I said, what I can do for you guys to make you feel comfortable is I'll take my electronic leak detector and I'll go around the entire box and make sure there's no leaks. But if it's reaching set point, right. And we can see the trend logs and there's no weird um, timing between reaching set point, then we know the system is fine. We don't need to put gauges on. So that's just a little bit of a story where I had to fight back on this, putting gauges on the system every six months.
0: Yeah, good, good. No, you, you, you could, if you know the system and you work on it all the time and you understand how that system works and runs, you can just do it on temperature. You know, you go across those condenser coils and uh, evaporator coils, are you, are you meeting what um, you're supposed to have? And then just putting your temperature probe on the suction line, the discharge line on multiple spots. So at the compressor, at the condenser in, at the condenser out, you know, at the evap in, at the evap out. is going to give you a lot of information. Is that coil sweating? You know what I mean? Just by that visual look. Um, and if it's a maintenance uh, and the system's running properly, I you you don't have to put that gate the gauges on I don't recommend it and uh just like you you Gary I, I would fight that because if, if it's running perfectly fine and you get all the right temperatures and all your
1: logs are good
0: uh just write down the temperatures
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah man that's that's what I do so I mean we've gone for an hour guys so do you have anything to throw in Matt I, I know that you've always got something to say did you do any research on trevor before we started trevor uh,
2: (laughs) no no no, no background research on trevor
1: matt's very good at doing research on on guests so i was kind of scared that he'd bring up like what color your slippers are and and stuff like that but (laughs) fantastic Uh, turquoise if i'm not mistaken
2: (laughs) no (laughs) there you go no it's uh it's always uh good to you know hear from trevor and hear uh information coming out of copeland and and one day hoping be able to get out to uh brantford for a a training course with him see him yet again and uh you know just grab little tidbits of knowledge that uh he has if i can grasp little shards of that i'm just going to be that much more better of a tech
0: well thanks matt yeah, so there, there are some things that uh, I would like to just tell a few listeners. Uh, Emerson uh, this year came out with a lot of free trainings, like uh, LMS training. So if guys are saying, well, I can't afford to go to school or I need more training, um, there, we have over 110 courses. And I'm pretty sure uh, you posted this before, Gary, but just to remind guys that we have a lot of free trainings. Uh, it can be overwhelming, but get on there. Um, and, and check them out. There's a lot of other manufacturers giving free training out too. Spend the time and do these trainings. Um, we have right now, I have contractor toolbox talks going on, um, which you can head to our website. It's uh, climate.emerson.com and then go to HVACR, uh, HVACR training. And then there will be a little tab on Contractor Toolbox Talks. We did one today on Scrolls, um, a good friend, Don Gillis. And then we have another one tomorrow um, as well. But check those out. We have them on demand. Uh, really want to share as much knowledge uh, with your listeners. Uh, and we're here to help. That, that's what a lot of the manufacturers, that's what Emerson wants to do. We want to help the industry. We want to help the technicians better themselves and if I can help one or two people like I'm real happy with that
1: awesome and I'm glad you brought up Don because I noticed Don is trying to put um, put forth the effort to to make his online presence um, more known and he's been putting out some good content and he's going to be coming on the podcast hopefully sometime in early December to to talk about some stuff as well
0: awesome yeah Don's a great guy he's a wealth of knowledge um, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with in uh, the training industry in the coming years for sure. And it's uh, a great, a great person too. So good. I'm glad he'll be on here. Awesome.
1: All right, guys. Well, I appreciate your time.
2: I appreciate you having, uh, having me on and uh, having the opportunity to talk with Trevor again. Awesome. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much, I, Gary, I, for... I,
1: you go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no problem. I was going to say talking to Trevor again, I guess we weren't recording when everybody, when we were talking about how you guys met up in the grocery store and chatted, but that was anyway.
2: Yeah. Watch out for uh, random Trevor spottings out in uh, Ontario. Um, he'll peel you aside and uh, you'll have a good, you know, 45 to hour plus chat uh, just about HVAC. Trevor has a absolute passion for uh, connecting with uh, technicians that are out, uh, out in the field. So, Keep an eye open for them.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Matt. <laughs> well, the, the, listen, the GTA uh, and, and the outside um, surrounding areas, there is a lot of people and there's a lot of HVAC companies and a lot of HVAC tech. So there's there's a lot of wealth of knowledge within this area, I think, um, when it comes to the grand scheme of things, when we're talking about North America, like there's obviously we're not the biggest city in North America, but we're one of the biggest and I think there's a ton of companies here and there's a ton of wealth and knowledge. And um, I'm starting to see a lot more texts popping up online that are from the Toronto area. And, and when I pop into the supplier, um, people will be like, hey, Gary. And I'm like, I turn around and I'm like, hey, man, nice to meet, like, finally nice to meet you. Because um, I talk to these people online all the time and they go by weird names on Instagram, like um, at... HVAC, um, whatever HVAC ninja or whatever, like, you know what I mean? And then you finally get to meet them and see their face and get to meet them in person and, and shake their hand and, um, or fist bump during COVID and, and get to know their names and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's very cool to get out and, and meet all these people. So thank Fantastic. you guys. I appreciate it. Trevor, great info as usual, Matt, thank you very much for joining us. You always add some some great insight into the conversation now guys compressors they can mechanically fail potentially maybe right but I think a lot of failures come from tech mistakes not pulling a proper vacuum um, not setting up the TX valve properly not cleaning condensers cleaning evaporators changing filters um, making sure the airflow is correct I think a lot of us Maybe cause compressor failures, and if we just take some more time, especially if we go change a compressor, this is really the time to put the microscope on the system. Change it while you before you change it, nitrogen braze, okay? Put in a new dryer, pull a great vacuum, okay? Check to make sure the oil is not acidic. All these things you do um, while you're doing the change, and then when the change is done, make sure that. The system is running properly. Make sure we have the correct amount of superheat. Make sure our discharge temp is not too high because of a dirty condenser or a condenser fan motor not running or spinning backwards or something like that. These are all things that can be checked and can be rectified to maintain a long life of that compressor. Anyway, thank you, guys. I really, really appreciate you getting on again. I'm out. Happy HVACing.
0: Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram. Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.